Australian Broadcast Radio, a centenary celebration. Hello everyone, today is November 3rd and we mark our third of 23 interviews today with our special guest, Chris Broad. Chris Broad is a manager in audio technology and operations at the SBS. His technological prowess and knowledge have helped him with many large corporations and companies such as the ABC and RCS Worldwide. Today, I sit with Chris and hear what he has to say about radio's history and his own. Here's what he had to say. Alrighty, so I'm here with Chris Broad from the SBS. Hello, Chris. Hi, Stuart. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well this morning. Thank you. Thank you for speaking with me as well. No worries. It's great to great to be here, and I, I love talking radio, and I love talking technology, and I'm happy to be a part of your podcast series. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it's it's interesting that that's the first thing you mentioned because I did want to bring up the sort of passion for radio and technology that you clearly have. So, radio clearly, since its inception a hundred years ago, has seen a lot of changes, and there have been so many adaptations and so many changes made to the IT side of it as well. What would you say? from what you sort of observed either in your career or in history, what comments would you have about the evolution of radio and radio technology? Wow. Okay. So <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack there because yes, there's a big question to start with. <laughs> there's been some massive changes. But you know what's quite funny? I mean, as a listener, the end product as it was now, as it was back in the eighties when I remember growing up listening to, you know, Sydney radio on Mum's Morant's stereo. Mm. The end product is is still largely the same in terms of its entertainment, its uh, music, its talk, um, it's that human connection. So but but you're right, uh, behind the scenes in the technology in the technology perspective, there's so much that has changed. I mean, since I've been involved in radio, which is coming up to 20 years now, um, since I first started in my first commercial radio gig, right. you know, we've 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 seen a, we've seen a massive amounts of change in terms of studio technology, in terms of music programming and playout uh, technology. You know, when I first started in radio, um, you, you know, computer playout had just really started to become a thing, right. and um, you know, automation was there. It was not every station had it. Um, it was quite difficult to set up, and that has sort of really, you know, really taken off. Um, there's a lot of automation happening in the industry, rightly or wrongly, and a lot of people have got a lot, of, lot to say about live radio versus pre-recorded and automated um, content, but. Yeah. There has been some considerable technolo- technological advancements there mm. um, in terms of the, the various t- software that's available, you know, how music's scheduled, how that sort of content strategy makes its way to the listener um, is very changed. But also just in the studio environment, you know, we've gone from largely analog-based audio setups in all, all studios, and a lot of stations do have um, analog audio s- still, mm. but now um, audio over IP is much more prevalent in the industry, and that sort of gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of delivering you know, various sources to various destinations um, without having to run a cable every time you want to do something new. <laughs> um, and that's something that we've sort of adopted here at SBS and we're, we're building upon our audio over IP network. Right. Um, and that's sort of, a you know, you find that is in place in a lot of the commercial stations, uh, the ABC are doing a little bit in audio over IP. So that's where the biggest change happens because that's where broadcasters have total flexibility um, in terms of delivering that content to the audience. Mm. Um, instead of having wires everywhere in a studio, it basically comes down to you know, an Ethernet network connection. And so therefore, it's a lot easier to set up, uh, a lot better to maintain, 
and um, just is nice and efficient. And um, as I said before, it gives you that complete flexibility. Mm. I've, I've seen comments from um, other presenters, you know, who used to present, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And they say now a lot of the times is um, back in those days, you'd kind of have someone doing things sort of individually, especially in the analog sort of days, even from a technological side, you wouldn't have someone, you know, lining up songs, you know, like someone would be doing you know, setting up the cassettes or editing or cutting and then you've got the presenter and everyone's got like a bit of a pipeline that they go through. But nowadays it seems like through those advancements, it's all just kind of one person now and they've made a note of that, which is interesting. Correct. Yes, very much so. Now, when, when I first started in the industry um, in regional commercial radio, um, in, I worked in you know regional New South Wales and then up in Darwin and it was very much the on-air talent doing everything in the studio. Mm. Um, you were screening phone calls for your for your phoners. You were lining up the songs. You were um, chopping up interviews in between in between songs and content. And that is definitely happening. We don't, you know, most stations don't have an army of people. Um, here at SBS, uh, we're a little bit different. We do have an operations team that helps helps the presenters put their programs to air. Because here at SBS, we've got, uh, you know, we've got 63 different languages on air, right. um, 63 different program teams. And, you know, a lot of those um, people there, a lot, a lot of our presenters are here to concentrate on the in-language in language content that's relevant to their community. Um, so I, here at SBS, I oversee um, a wonderfully talented operations team um, in Sydney and also in Melbourne. Right. And they're the ones that sort of do all the button pushing in the studios. Um, they assist with editing, they assist with live streamed events, and they sort of play that role of the, 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 the technical person in the studio sure. um, while the presenter is doing the program. Now, we are seeing more people come through the pipeline with um, the skills in panel operation and editing. So our, you know, the shift of the focus of our operations team is, is changing a little bit, but um, we still very much have a, a big part to play. Right. It's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned. It's funny, you, um, when you talk about the SBS, you've also had um, experience within the public sector, obviously, with the ABC as well. It's interesting mm -hmm. that you talk about that. I just wanted to ask, considering like working in the public sort of broadcast sort of sector, as it were, do you find, one, something I wanted to ask about that specifically is do you think it lets you focus more on the audio you're making? Because obviously if there's the um, any production work or any sort of audio that you have to think about from a technological standpoint, does having to not focus on like ads and sponsorships affect how you sort of focus on the audio? I just wanted to kind of clarify that because I'm not really sure how that works. Yeah, look, it's it's a really good question. Um, I'll answer. Well, first of all, I'll say SBS. We are we do have um, we do have some supported by advertising uh, right. to some extent. So we actually run um, ads across uh, most of our or a couple of our radio channels with live content. I see. And at the ABC, definitely no ads on the ABC, but there's a very strong emphasis on the promotion. Um, aspect and you'll oh. notice that when you listen to the ABC there's quite often little promos for ABC podcasts for mm. you know merchandise that you can buy um, formerly from the ABC shop mm. but now that you can buy online mm. um, and there's a very sort of strong emphasis on those promotion messages that that go to wear in those little breaks of the programs mm. now it is true in both of those scenarios you're not necessarily answerable to 
from a technology point of view, everything's got to work. And you're not necessarily answerable to an angry station manager or a, well, you are if something goes wrong, but, <laughs> um, you know, an angry advertiser. But at the end of the day, if things don't work, you're answerable to a higher power. And we, we, yeah. we sort of are answerable to the Department of Communications and the Australian taxpayer. So if things go too bad, then you could find yourself um, hauled before Senate estimates for some grilling by some of the politicians. Oh, geez. So there is still that pressure for everything to work and everything to to not fail. Um, and it's extremely important um, that our services um, are robust and reliable. And from a content perspective, there's still, you know, just as much from a content perspective, it does, you know, the content makers, it's true, they, they're not necessarily worried about the ads because the ads just happen when they press the button in the studio. Yeah. But behind the scenes, we give just as much attention to making sure those commercials um, sound right and sound where they should be. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me wonder if there's a lot of that same sort of concern and crossover in the commercial sort of sector as well. Yeah, I think so. And one of the um, one of the newer sort of aspects that we're delving into in this industry is your online advertising. So yeah. we've just made some changes here at SBS when our, for our audio audio streams, our digital streams, which uh, people list, consume on our apps and our websites and various other platforms, uh, we've now implemented digital um, insertion or digital ad insertion on our streams. So it's a very different listening experience to, you know, if you're listening on air, you get served one set of ads. Uh, but if you're listening to our stream, you get a much more targeted set of ads, um, which are basically served to you through our advertising partners. And that's been a really interesting piece of work to implement. Um, and it's been very tricky because you want to sort of align the digital ad insertion to the signaling of the actual start of the commercial break. You don't want any sort of messy crossovers that you sometimes hear. So um, it's been a bit of a complex process, but we've actually got there and it's um, it's sounding not too bad. Nice. Well, very nice. Well, it's it's. I wanted to say as well, it's very clear to me that you have a passion and a deep understanding, more so than I could ever fathom, really, of radio and the sort of technology that it requires. It really is quite, it's very plain to see your passion as you talk. Uh, the I thing do, I, I do love it, and I'll just say, and it, it's quite funny that I, I fell into this realm. So I, it's quite funny that I fell into this realm. I grew up, um, you know, an avid, as I mentioned before, an avid radio listener. Mm. Um, I grew up wanting to be a radio presenter, and I thought, no, that will never happen. I'll never get there. And then, <laughs> um, but I was always a bit of a computer nerd, so right. um, technology always interested me. And then when I finished school, um, I found myself, I went to uni for a short time, then find, found myself working in the technology sector and I'd be studying radio at night and um, doing a radio course. And it was quite interesting. I eventually got my first gig as a presenter in commercial radio and did a, did a bit of that around the country for a few years. Cool. But then I found myself falling into the technology side of radio. And that's sort of like a combination of my, my two passions in life. Mm. Um, and I've absolutely loved it. That's taken me from working um, for you know, various software companies who are involved in the radio industry, you know, to technological roles at the ABC. And now here I am at SBS. Mm. And I love just seeing how the technology changes can make such a big change in the delivery of, delivery of that content and um, how we can adapt the technology to enhance um, what our presenters are doing for the audience. 
Well, it's, it's fascinating role. It is. Well, and it's actually, I think you've kind of preemptively hit the nail on the head of exactly what I was going to say, actually, because I was going to say, especially considering your um, sort of wanting to be a presenter, which is a passion we both share, hopefully one day mm-hmm. for me, fingers crossed, but um, hopefully one day. And then, so you've got your presenting sort of experience and then you've got your audio and your radio and technology sort of sides colliding, I suppose. My thought was how has maybe your ideas of audio adapted and changed over the course of being a listener to wanting to be a presenter to being a presenter you know to working in the technology side having that audio do you ever think about it a different way but it seems like you definitely do and just the way audio can deliver and technology can deliver different things for different sort of outcomes correct and it's quite strange i mean um the COVID-19 pandemic um, is a is a classic example of, you know, a, a pretty big amount of change in this oh, yeah. industry. Um, and it, that was actually really, it was actually, it forced us to sort of go down a path which is only going to benefit um, all of our content makers in the future. And by that, I mean, you know, having that flexibility to not necessarily be in the studio when you are broadcasting. So before COVID-19, all of SPS programs were delivered from within a studio with the odd outside broadcast via, you know, a codec connection into the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, guests pretty much came into the studio or they were on the phone when they were being interviewed. Yep. Um, COVID-19 comes along and all of a sudden we've got presenters in a rush you know presenting from home we've got guests coming in via zoom we've got um you know out obs that just well they don't happen like traditional obs they're sort of more you know (laughs) um sort of a more hybrid setup and then we have we have a lot more sort of live streaming which is happening as well and by that i mean sort of audio with a visual video element that sort of ramped up for SBS during the COVID pandemic. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there was any major reason for that. It was just an evolution of the content because I think with, so. Yeah, with increased social media, you, you know, you want to sort of, st- you don't just want to st- be posting your sound bites onto Facebook. Well, it's actually very difficult to, <laughs> to do that. Um, so you've got to serve up a visual element. Mm. Um, and, and especially these days when people are now producing podcasts as well, they want their podcasts to sound great. They want them to look great. And so having that video content is becoming increasingly important. And, um, you know, right now we're, we're currently looking at how we can deck out all of our studios with, um, you know, with broadcast quality video cameras sure. um, that will allow our teams to not only produce great audio content, but produce that supplementary video content um, with all of the branding and the imagery. So mm. um, that's next on the roadmap for us. Cool. And that's going to be sort of the next change in delivery of what we see as pr- traditional audio content, but with that video um, social media element as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen a few I've seen a few radio stations do that, actually. And I've, I've had a theory that I think it's a bit of a carryover from COVID mainly in the sense that Obviously, people still want to listen to radio. People still want to hear and engage with communities, especially while they were still at home. I think having that visual element just made people feel less sort of isolated, I feel like. So mm-hmm. obviously, you still have your sort of voices and you feel like you have all these voices talking at you sort of and you can still hear the same content in you know very loose terms, I suppose. Um, obviously, things aren't happening as much in the world to report on or talk yeah. about. However, I think the theory of mine is that having that visual element has crossed over from 
people, you know, doing Zooms as we are, and then, you know, people having that sort of visual contact while we were really missing it during COVID. And then it's just something that sort of stayed because people realized, you know what, people like in the industry and sort of listeners as well realize that having that sort of supplementary sort of visual, as you say, has actually led to it being a bit more sort of personable, a bit more sort of, you know, intimate, I suppose. Exactly. And before before COVID, you would never, well, you know, I, I suppose there were probably some stations doing it, but it wasn't the norm no. where you would have a Zoom-style interview that would be uh, broadcast on air. And I think that, you know, for us, it was all about, okay, well, let's get the Zoom recording, let's strip the audio out, and then we can play it to where in our podcast. But then then it became a, a case of, well, hang on, we've got the video file there. Why don't, why don't we post that on social media? Exactly. And then it becomes a, a visual element. And um and, and all of a sudden now it's the norm. It's it's perfectly acceptable to get a Zoom or even maybe a Teams interview and, and put it on air. I mean, people would have shunned the audio quality in the past, but now it's almost like the audience is expecting it. Now, you know, somebody's joining uh, the presenter in the studio on Zoom and I'm listening to the interview this way as opposed to being on the phone. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a very interesting thought. And I feel like, yeah, if you have, it's like you say, if you have that information and you have that sort of video file, why not use it? It's interesting. Now, I want to deviate just a little bit. I wanted to talk about just your experience in the radio technology department because you've got a lot of it. And I think something that I didn't appreciate before I, as I was sort of writing these questions and as I was thinking about it, I realized I don't really know that much about radio technology, you know? (laughs) And I feel like a lot of people, even some like presenters, and I feel like some people who listen to radio, for example, probably don't have any real idea about what it takes to sort of be like a radio technician or having to work with that sort of technology, even on a software or hardware level. Mm-hmm. So in, you know, in as many words as you like, sort of, can you describe what the process is sort of like? So say, for example, how might people who listen to radio, how might they be affected by the different technology that you guys use? Well, if we do it right, the people listening to the radio won't necessarily be affected at all. Well, exactly. Um, and if there is any effect, then it will be only good things. True. Uh, for instance, if they're listening to digital radio, DAB, and they're seeing a little bit more metadata come through um, on the on their TV, on their on their receiver, they mm. might see you know the name of the person who's on air or the name of the currently playing song. Hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of the the, the the I guess the technological advancement, that's a that's a pretty big one, and um, you know everyone loves that but i think from a a radio technology point of view it's so much more so if you go back to the early days of radio the 70s and the 80s and your traditional radio engineer was somebody who'd be climbing up the the towers and the transmitters and and fixing cables and replacing little bits of the transmitter and then the next day they'd be in the studio re-soldering little little pieces of the panel and replacing (laughs) cables and it was all very sort of yeah, all very manual, very mm. hands-on. Very meticulous. Um, exactly, exactly. Now, in, in, in recent years, um, I mean, a large part of my role in radio technology is, you know, dealing with uh, vendors and um, broadcast partners. For instance, you know, we deal with companies like BAI um, who look after our towers and transmitters, and we uh, we um, deal with Telstra Broadcast who, who looks after a lot of our broadcast paths. So um, it's a lot of um, what we call, you know, vendor or stakeholder management. So being in touch with those vendors, making sure they understand 
understand the business, making sure they understand our content strategy and they can deliver the solutions which suit the needs of our broadcast teams and, and allow us to deliver on our content strategy. You know, and it's not so much, you know, I, I we we don't really have people in the studio soldering uh, soldering bits and pieces <laughs> and replacing cables anymore. Not so much. Um, having that audio over ip environment environment means that you know there's a lot less of that those cable runs throughout the building and um the tangle of of cables uh but it's the technological focus um in radio technology these days it's become a lot more it so you know your your audio delivery audio over ip it's all managed by network switches so it's finding the people that understand um those switches and who can't just operate a data network but can also operate operate an audio over ip network right. which is you know um i like to think it's 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 much more uh, complicated than a data network because you can't let the audio drop for even just a split second otherwise you have noticeable impact to yeah, the audience true um and likewise you've got to have a and b paths for everything you've got to have plenty of redundancy built into whatever technological systems that you build we've also got you know various software programs now so um, if you look at things like router control um which is where you you know you switch your your, your audio switcher router is basically broadcasting what studios on air what systems on air and changing hour by hour there's software packages that overlay that and so it's uh, finding people with the right smarts in those particular programs which control that underlying technology and making sure that those packages and those programs are doing their part and and working as well as they can right so yeah there's a lot more of these days in the radio technology field there's a lot more focus on networking there's a lot more focus on software um, but also those traditional skills audio production audio editing and uh, music mixing and that sort of thing it's a lot of moving parts by the sense I'm, I'm honestly you'd have to keep about 40 notebooks i would think i i feel like i couldn't keep up with it frankly that's 41 one note notebooks uh, yes <laughs> true very true yep. <laughs> now the last thing i want to ask you chris and is i'm very interested in your answer to this considering you have such a technological history as well i've been asking everyone the sort of through question uh here which is what would you say about your history in radio. So considering obviously you've had your presenting experience, your technological experience, et cetera, what would you say about that that you think could be used to look forward and maybe foresee the future of radio? It's, it's funny, I, I think a lot about the future of radio and you know what are, what are we doing now? What were we doing 20 years ago when I first started? Mm. Um, and what will we still be doing in the future? And I, I think that, you know, you, you ask around people and there's a lot of mixed opinions on, you know, the long-term viability of radio broadcasting. Really? Um, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the future of radio is looking very healthy. Um, I, think it's very, I think it's very strong. I think that people will always have some sort of radio, or for a long time anyway, they're going to, they're, they're going to have some sort of radio receiver in their car. Um, mm. They're going to want to switch on the, the radio at the top of the hour and they're going to want to hear live news. So um, you, you're going to have elements like talkback radio, which is extremely important to the audience. And it's, and it's the best way that you can connect with your audience, and especially in times of crisis, in times of a big news event. That's when people flick on to talkback radio. So as long as those things are happening in the world, unfortunately or fortunately, um, <laughs> there will always be a need for live radio and there'll always be a demand for it. Sure. Now, I think that where we'll find... I personally think when it comes to music radio, obviously, you know, you've got your Spotify's and your, your titles and your other streaming services that sure. are sort of chewing into that market that 
or that that audience that want just wants to listen to music and, and i think radio especially the music stations have a have an opportunity to to be that point of difference to to start thinking about their music programming and to start maybe serving up things that give people a reason to listen so songs that you may not necessarily hear every day or that you might have forgotten about i think that the stations that are starting to add a bit of that to their format is is pretty you know is pretty important i had a point here <laughs> <laughs> about it that's all right um, um if I'm honest, I'm surprised. That, sorry if this interrupts your thought. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned anything about AI because that's the kind of running thought yep. I keep hearing, especially from presenters, like older presenters and even presenters nowadays are so worried that not necessarily that AI will take over their jobs, but it will influence so much what they do because you can have full like segments recorded and you know presented almost entirely artificially. Yep, it's um, it, it's really quite interesting. AI is very, um, you know, it's out there and it's and it is it, it is broaching on the territory. But I think the smart um, the smart broadcasters are going to use that to to their advantage. Mm. I mean, as as it gets smarter. I mean, in the early days of ChatGPT, I remember uh, just getting on there and asking it to give me the weather forecast for today in the style of a Australian FM radio jock, and I was so surprised. At the answer that it gave me, I thought, okay, wow, I am listening to an FM station as I'm reading this weather report. <laughs> um, look, I think in terms of AI, um, I think there may be a, a, a future for um, AI-generated voice synthesis in the moving forward with radio in the future. And I think that although we're always going to have our live personalities, whether it means that live personality is actually in the studio saying what they're saying at the moment or whether it's um, an AI service that's vod- that, that's modelled that voice mm-hmm. um, who may go on air, you know, outside of the normal broadcast hours. So I think that we probably will see a bit of that mm-hmm. um, in the future. And, you know, I think in the right hands, it's it, it, it's exciting. It's... it's it, it could be exciting. I mean, I think no one's ever going to, uh, the audience I don't think will ever accept 100% generated AI fake voices presenting radio. And yeah. I don't think that we will ever get that far. But um, I think as, as supplementary to the existing on-air offering, um, I think that that's something that could be very possible one yeah. day soon. I, I was speaking to another interviewee just quickly, um, uh, Spencer House, and he raised an interesting point that he thinks sometimes AI might um, it might influence the way that the, the um, content is given to the sort of audience in the sense that if I like you know news at the top of the hour, it knows I like this kind of music. It knows that I want to talk to someone for half an hour, X, Y, Z, whatever sort of metrics you want. AI will know what someone wants. And instead of playing stuff that they don't like and don't care about, it will sort of be a radio placated to you exactly. Yep. Look, I, I think that that's very possible. You know, I think if there's, well, all that all they would need to do is, you know, come up with a model that sort of monitors your your sort of usage of radio when you flick to a different station, um, mm. you know, what you sort of hover around, what times of the day you listen to. And in the AI world, it would be very possible for, for that, that sort of uh, personalized radio to to eventually come together mm. and um look it's it's quite exciting it is it very much is exciting so thank you chris honestly i really appreciate the answers you've given me here especially from that technological side which i'll i'll admit hand on my heart i'm not the most knowledgeable about but it's nice to talk to someone who is and that's sort of why we're why we're here chatting so thank you again 
Yeah, no worries, Stuart. Uh, thank you so much again. It's been um, it's been a pleasure to be a part of part of this, and I look forward to to hearing uh, what everyone else has to say. <laughs> and um, yeah, wish you all the best for the for the rest of your course. You're definitely, in my opinion, studying um, in the right field. So <laughs> nice work. I'd like to think so as well. Thank you, thank you. I want to thank Chris for talking to me today and being a part of Radio History. Tomorrow, we continue our journey and learn the history of Australian broadcast radio. Until then. My name is Stuart Crichton. Thank you all for listening.